This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, before Pastor Andrew Wong comes and preach your God's word, we'll now have our scripture passage reading. And this morning is taken from the last chapter of Zechariah. I'll give you some time to take out a Bible right now. Oh, you can refer to your screen projection problem. Let me read the passage for us. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, where possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I'll gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. The half of the mountain moving north and the half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley for you will stand to Israel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea, and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name. The whole land from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up high from the Benjamin Gate to the side of the first gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the royal wine presses and will remain in this place. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. The flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. The eyes will rot in the socket and the tongues will rot in their mouth. On that day, People will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. They will seize each other by the hand and attack one another. Judah too will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. The great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and moose, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. 
Then the survivors from all the nations that attacked Jerusalem would go up year after year, worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. Many of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty. You will have no rain. If the, Egyptian pe- if the Egyptian people do not go out and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go out to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go out to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord, will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. This is the word of God. Thanks, Andrew, for reading today's passage. Once again, a very good morning to everyone. It's such a privilege to gather with God's people to open up the Bible. In fact, could I invite you, if you have a physical Bible, to have it open to the last finale chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14. If you don't have a physical Bible, you can use your phone as well. Um, There'll be no Bible verses flash on the screen. So I'll be reading from my Bible and you can follow along and flip with me as well. Now, let's begin by asking our Lord to help us to engage with His Word and that He will speak to us through Zechariah 14. I'll just give us a short moment to grab the Bibles, those who are still grabbing their Bibles, and then we'll pray together. right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today that we can have your word. Thank you so much for the book of Zechariah that it not only helps us know you better, it nourishes our understanding of the New Testament as well. This morning as we open up your word, we pray God that we will not return empty, but your Holy Spirit will work in us, that your Holy Spirit will help us to engage and understand your word and will turn our hearts towards you and that you will steer the will of your people for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now for those of you who struggle to sleep at night, perhaps worry about many things in your life, some might even wonder if God is real and if things will be alright at the end of the day, I've got a quote for you. I've got a quote taken from the Winged Feathers saga that I've been reading with my children for the most part of this year. And this is a quote inside nearing the end of their battles. It says this, Sometimes in the middle of the night, the sun can seem like it was only ever a dream. We need something to remind us that it still exists even if we can't see it. 
We need something beautiful hanging in the dark sky to remind us that there is such a thing as daylight. I wonder if any of you have stared out of your window looking at the moon to be reminded that dawn will come. Now, nearing the end of their journey, these three children called the wing feathers, they had to learn to trust their maker when the only thing that they can feel is darkness. They could hardly remember the warmth of the sun, the sound of laughter that children should have. The enemies seems to be winning in every direction and the lives of their family and the people were held by a very thin thread. Eventually, these three winged feather children learned that the maker has his own way to save his own people, even those who are called his enemies. Now, I wonder if you have been reading or watching any stories or movies that will just captivate your imagination that reveals the brokenness of even the best amongst us, and yet fill us with courage and faith and hope and forgiveness. Well, this is one of those stories or series worth reading. Beside the ability for me to get my children to bed on time, it took us on an adventure which culminates with an impossibly dark battle that no one could win. But then, with a turn of event, it was made possible by the sheer power of the maker. Rescue, restoration, redemption are all available. And even the most broken and twisted, if they would turn back to the king, would also receive redemption. Now, as we come to this final chapter of Zechariah, the 14th chapter, we will read about a day that is both frightening and comforting. The day of the Lord. There will be trials and tribulations, yet there will also be rescue and a new beginning. There will be judgment for the enemies, as well as an offer of forgiveness. For all the hearers of Zechariah, there are choices to be made. So without further ado, step with me into this last chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14. This is how it begins. In ESV, it reads this, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. Now, this finale chapter begins with a declaration by Zechariah regarding a day of the Lord. Now, we've been hearing repeatedly about a day throughout chapter 12 to 14, the oracle, where the Lord will bring judgment and rescue. As we reach this finale regarding the day for the Lord, we are shown a picture of worldwide oppositions against the city of Jerusalem. There are real horrors in this battle, a very dark day for God's people. Now, most of us, you and I, who have never lived in a war-torn nations, but those who have would have written about the horrors of war and the evil they witnessed or even experienced. Now, here in verse 2, it says, The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped half of the city will go into exile. For the first listeners of Zechariah, this frightening picture actually plagiarizes the memories of their darkest days when Babylon attacked Jerusalem, looted and destroyed the temple, and the bears of their men and people were sent into exile. So if the war of Babylon was dark 
back in the history, this prophecy will be even more extensive because this time around, verse 2 says, all the nations in the world will be against God's people. Now, ever since Zechariah was written, many people have wondered, when would this day of the Lord happen? Was it referring to Zechariah's time when the temple has not been completed and there are threats all around? Was it the Maccabean revolt a few hundred years after Zechariah in the 2nd century BC? Or perhaps the siege of Jerusalem in AD 70 where the temple was destroyed? Well, at various degrees, the opposition against God's people were very real in all of these historical events. And Zechariah's promise of hope in the Lord was true for every of these events. Yet, there never was, isn't it, a day where the whole world was set against the physical Jerusalem. Would there be a day where all nations will be against the physical Jerusalem? Well, perhaps not. But if we look through the lens of the gospel, the people of God has gone well beyond one geographical location. We are told that the people of God are those who mourn over their sins and return to God. In fact, Scripture tells us that the church is now the chosen people of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. In fact, it goes on in verse 10 of 1 Peter 2, saying, Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So all through the generations since the days of Jesus, Christians have been finding oppositions everywhere they go. In fact, just this week, I read of a 55-year-old Nigerian pastor who was ambushed and killed by extremists. And a day after, 11 more people were murdered, 10 of them were members of the pastor's church. Now, such reports are grievous and they are relentless. They are here every, every day. Now, I wonder if you have experienced opposition yourself. Perhaps not there, but people who are friendly to you stop becoming friendly the moment you speak about God, about Jesus or even worse, about sin. Because whenever Christians proclaim the good news of Jesus, of God's forgiveness, and also our need to turn back and mourn for our sins, there will be oppositions from all nationalities, from all walks of life. It could be in the form of rejection. It could be ridicule, aggressions, plunder, perhaps death threats. Now, the annual World Watch list published by Open Doors, it reminds us again and again that death, persecution, mistreatments of everyday people all over the world just because they are Christians. Now, it is only the promise of God here, as we come back to Zechariah, that the resurrection of Jesus that will remind us that the battle is ultimately the Lord's. He alone can wrap up this relentless battle victorious by his own return. Verse 3, look at it. It says, The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he, fight, as he fights on a day of battle. 
Now the day of the Lord's return, his battle will end swiftly and supernaturally as it did in the past like the crushing waters of the Red Sea. On that day, verse 4 says, his feet will stand on Mount Olives, east of Jerusalem, to bring an end to the enemies swiftly. So it is actually no accident at all that a few hundred years later, that the Lord Jesus himself ascended into heaven from Mount of Olives. And the angels there say to the onlooking Christians, Hey, man of Galilee, why do you stand here looking in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The Mount of Olives was where Jesus chose to ascend into heaven and where the angels declared Jesus will return. Now we must make no mistake as we read verses 1 to 5 of Zechariah 14 that we do need to acknowledge that the battle against God's people, it is fierce. The losses and the sufferings, they are terrible. There will be deliverance. In verse 5, it ends off this way, Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, I'm not exactly sure if the holy ones here meant angels or Christians or both. But what we know is this, that when the Lord returns to finish the battle, all the darkness will be replaced by the glorious light of salvation. In fact, this is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18 reminds us of in the words of the scriptures. Let me flip with us to 1 Thessalonians 4. Right of the Gospels, you have Acts and Romans. In the Corinthians, you have the four short letters of Paul. And then you arrive at 1 Thessalonians. Let me read this to you. This is one of my favorite verses. And I look at it often during funerals. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So here's the encouragement when we listen to the whole book of Zechariah. If you find it hard to persevere as a Christian, if you have been ever been misunderstood and rejected because of Jesus, if living a God-honoring life has been a heavy burden on you and you have lost opportunities, if proclaiming the good news of Jesus causes you to lose friends and gain oppositions, then Zechariah's message is that we are to hang in there. Because the day of the Lord will be swift and you will end the relentless battles against God's people. But perhaps we may say, I don't feel much persecution. Well, if if that's the case, perhaps you should pause and I should pause this week to read the reports of countless Christians suffering each day so that we too will quickly long for the day of the Lord when all the oppositions and persecution and sufferings of those who bear Christ's name will end. 
And on that day, verse 6 goes on, there will be a new Jerusalem. The world will be totally transformed. Now, recently I, I asked Google, what are some of the hardest things to describe? And it gave me a list, including this. Give it a shot, see if you can describe it. Describe what water tastes like. But describe what color a mirror is. Or try describing a color that doesn't exist. Or let's try one that exists, a color, describe it to someone without using the name of the color or pointing to the color itself. How do you fare trying to describe these things? Well, as Zechariah tries to describe the new Jerusalem, this is what he says. He says, what used to differentiate our days and nights no longer function the same way. There is an overflowing of living water from this Jerusalem, borrowing the picture of the Garden of Eden. And whether summer or winter, the, the water will flow out to nourish the land. This day will be unlike any we could imagine. It will be a new creation. And to make sure we get it right, he added, well, it will be a unique day known only to the Lord. Now, this unique day in the final chapter of Zechariah was similarly prophesied in the final chapter of the whole Bible where the Apostle John, he wrote this in Revelation 22, just flip to the very last chapter of the Bible, and this is what he says. Revelation 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruits, yielding its fruits every month. Now, we do not know exactly when this will happen, but we will know when it happens because it will not simply be an upgrade. It will be beyond our imagination. The Lord spoke of this unique day as his own written later in Matthew chapter 24, 36. He said this, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angel in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. That unique day, is also the day when the Son of Man arrives. Now, days is Zechariah where the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. On that day, the Shema, which the Israelites recites regularly every day, becomes a reality. On that day, the Shema that commands them to say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, will be a reality. For there will be no idolatry, nor spiritual adultery in this new Jerusalem. On that day, this new Jerusalem, says Zechariah, will be lifted high. It will be inhabited, never destroyed, and eternally secure. On that day, fear becomes a distant memory. Death is a concept that we read only in history books. Idolatry is an impossible word. Thirst will always be satisfied. The king himself is the Lord. There will be eternal 
safety. What a beautiful picture it is, isn't it? Do you and I long for this day of the Lord? As we get along with our busy lives, do we pause and realize that this is the day we should long for? Even though it is barely describable, where everything will be made new and beautiful, where there will be true satisfaction that this world can never offer, an unquenchable contentment that make us joyful forever. Now, I wonder if you have ever done this or had the occasion while you're watching late night TV and you end up eating food that brings no satisfaction. Anyone does that? Or am I the only one? Well, I remember those late nights. I'll be watching cooking show competitions with my wife. That's her favorite while folding clothes. And when I watch them cook, I'll end up feeling so hungry that eventually I'll give in to cooking the two minutes instant noodles after I switch off the TV. Now, though it, it, it tastes delicious. Okay, those who are smiling, I know probably you have done that as well. Though, though it tastes delicious for a short moment, those two minute noodles promise no lasting value or satisfaction. But only regrets of the calories that I have to embrace after that. No, those noodles were an unsatisfactory shadow of that great food that the great chef were cooking. Now the same goes for the unique day. It will make the best of our experience now a poor shadow of the reality in the future that will come on that day when the Lord returns and his city overflows with living water. But what about the nations? The nations who fought against Jerusalem. Well, Zechariah then turns from the new Jerusalem, and then he paints a very gloomy picture of those who opposes the Lord. Verse 12. Look at it. It's horrendous. The flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. The tongue will rot in their mouth. It's not a very pleasant picture at all. On that day, says Zechariah, people will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. There will be a terrible plague that inflicts both humans and animals. Again, Zechariah here borrows from the image of the plague in Exodus where both humans and animals were affected in Egypt because Pharaoh despised and opposed the Lord. This very graphic picture of the nations is really a reminder that, you know, the size of the army, the vigor of their youth, the, the strength of their weapon, the boasting of their tongues, these meant nothing when they're fighting against the Lord. On that day, those who fought the Lord's holy people would face a day of rotting, of panic, of plague. It will be a day of judgment. It will be a day of awful cry of panic. Now, just like the day when the terror of the Lord was so great upon Egypt that they just give out articles of gold and silver and clothing to lost people for them to leave, so it would be here for all the surrounding nations when the plague of the Lord falls on them. Now, here's the question. Why did Zechariah paint such a picture for the Lord's people? Well, I guess it's this, that the people will learn 
to put their trust in the Lord, even when the going gets tough, that the Lord is and will be the only one who can give perfect judgment. Not now, not right now, but when he returns. In fact, Paul in the New Testament says that to the church of Rome in his 12th chapter, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, what was spoken to a geographical Jerusalem in the days of Zechariah is now read to the spiritual Jerusalem in the days of the church. For the people back then in Zechariah's days, they were called to build God's house despite the oppositions and threats of the surrounding nations. For the church in this last day, in our time, we are to build God's spiritual house despite the oppositions and threats that surround us. Because here's the thing, listen to this. Comfort. Comfort is not the promise for the church before the final day. Comfort is not the promise for the church in the final day. Relationship is. And so we are called to persevere in obedience to the Lord that we now have a relationship with. For those who mourn for their rebellion, we saw that in chapter 12, verse 10, who are cleansed from sin, chapter 13, verse 1, they and we will be refined by the Lord before the last day of judgment. In fact, look with me at the last verses of Zechariah 13, just two verses before the finale chapter of Zechariah. Look at just two verses up. I'll read this to us. You can look at it or even read it aloud from your end. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I'll put into the fire. I'll refine them like silver, test them like gold. They'll, be, they'll call on my name and I will answer them. I will say... They are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. That is a beautiful picture. Yet in the midst of trials, the day of the Lord's return will be a day of God's righteous wrath. And so you and I now, we need to live conscious of it. In fact, the Apostle Peter says to the church that we should not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes to test us, but to rejoice as we participate in the suffering of Christ so that we may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. In fact, 1 Peter 4, 16 says this. He says that if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter goes on to say, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So as the people in Zechariah's days need to take heed of the prophecy and persevere. So do we in this last day. We need to take heed 
that the Lord's return will bring judgment. And so we live with reverence, fear for the Lord, and we warn those willing to listen, as in the days of Noah before the great flood. Now finally, as we come to the last few verses of this finale chapter from verse 16, Zechariah comes back to bring us again the picture of the new kingdom after the last battle. This is what it says in verse 16. Look at it with me. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. Or some version says the festival of booths. Now, for the first readers, when they hear this, it was a very clear declaration that Gentile remnants would also be included into the new kingdom. In fact, it had always been God's plan to include anyone who are willing to turn to Him. Because ever since the beginning of the festival of tabernacles or booths, this celebration was not only for Israel. In the Old Testament, it says it is also for the servants, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows, for all who worships the Lord Almighty. It was this seven-day joyful celebration for the harvest that the Lord blessed His people with. And here's the interesting part. During the annual celebration, the people were given the command to go camping. So imagine with me, parents bring their children camping annually at every festival of tabernacles. They'll go out camping, and as they lie under their tents in the night, they'll poke their heads out of the flappy entrance to admire the beautiful sky, and they breathe the nice, fresh night uh, air without wearing masks. And then the fathers will begin telling the stories of all of their ancestors. Oh, how God rescued Israel from Egypt, how they lived in makeshift tents for 40 years between the exodus from Egypt into the arrival into the promised land. No, the fathers will carry on telling the family stories of how the Lord rescued them from slavery, fed them with heavenly bread. As the smells, the barbecue, and, and they have eaten their bread to food, everyone in the family would affirm once again, yes, the Lord Almighty is their God and they will be filled with joy. Now that was the Festival of Tabernacles. In fact, it's still being celebrated today and someone in the first service says it's actually still um, happening even in Singapore. Now in this finale, the Lord extends His offer to the survivors from all the nations. They are given the same privilege to celebrate the festival as His people and to worship Him as King. For the reality is this, there is no blessing or harvest apart from the Lord of the universe. That is why it repeatedly says anyone who do not go up to worship the king, who do not go up to celebrate the festivals, will have no rain and will only have plagues. And again, it is no accident that we read how the Lord Jesus himself went to the temple courts during the festival of tabernacles and made this declaration. 
I want to invite you to look at this passage with me. Look at look with me to John chapter seven. Okay, if you flip a few pages to the gospel, uh, there are four accounts: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Turn to John. I want to read this to you, and I would like to invite you to look at this very important passage with me. John chapter seven. I'll read verse thirty-seven and thirty-eight and thirty-nine for us. John chapter 7, 37. This is speaking about the festival of the tabernacles. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By these he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Pause there, take a look at that passage. Do you hear what he's saying? You and I, we have already heard about the living water in Jerusalem a few verses back in Zechariah 14. And now the festival of the tabernacles. Indeed, what it's telling us is that the living waters that gives life is found in none other than Jesus, God's King. Indeed, our lives are never meant to be separated from the Lord Almighty who cares for His creation since creation began. There is no flourishing without drinking from the Lord Himself. We are created to flourish under the rule and the care of the Lord, just as the fishes survive in water and the trees flourish in the soil. And so the words of the Lord Almighty in this book of Zechariah is now extended to the whole world. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, declares the Lord Almighty. On that day, it will not just be the high priest or the temple that is holy to the Lord, but the whole city will be holy. Everything is holy to the Lord. Even the mundane things like the bells of horses, the cooking pots will be as sacred as the turban of the high priest, as the things in front of the altar, because there is no separation of us looking holy on a Sunday and not on a Monday to Saturday. Everything we do will be holy set apart for the Lord. Everything that goes in and out of our mouth will be set apart for the Lord. Everything that we hear and goes in our heart, that we express out of our heart, will be holy and set apart for the Lord. On that day, writes the very last verse in this finale chapter, there will be no Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Well, some translations use the word merchant. But whether Canaanite or merchant, they carry the same purpose. We have read, back in chapter 11 of merchants or shepherds who sold God's flock for personal profit. We have also read about Canaanites short the Old Testament who represents idolatry. But neither will be present in the house of the Lord Almighty because there will be no evil before the king of the world. And again, the apostle John writes about the day of the Lord at the very end of the book of Revelation. And he says this, let me flip back to us, uh, with us to Revelation, just a few pages back from the last 
page Revelation 21, this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Didn't we read that in Zechariah 13 at the end? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The mourning that we have right now is needed to mourn for our sins, but it is to prepare us for that new creation where mourning is no longer needed. Now, dear friends, as we wrap up our journey through the book of Zechariah, will we once again live with expectation for the Lord's return? I know life is busy. We get very occupied with all kinds of things with COVID. But will we once again be reminded to live with expectation that the Lord will return? Now, even now, there will be trials, there will be tribulations. But will we trust in the Lord even when the going gets tough. You know, in the, in the battle scene between the children and the monsters in the Winged Feathers saga, the children, in the face of huge, taunting enemies, they said this, they said, we are in the maker's keeping. Even if we die trying, death is just another way out. But you, you will just turn to dust. On those dark days, on those dark nights, in yours and my Christian journey, will we stand firm in the midst of the night, looking to the death and resurrection of Jesus that promises us the great day of his return where all in the grave will rise again and those who are not about in the Lord will rise together. And when that comes, that unique day, the sun will rise. On that day, the universal worship of the Lord Almighty will occur. On that day, everything will be made right. That day will come. Our responsibility now is to keep trusting in Him, knowing that in Jesus, we belong to the day of the new Jerusalem, the new kingdom. And so finally, as we read the ending verses of Zechariah 14, will we also recognize the desire of the Lord that he does not want anyone to perish, but that all would turn back to him and be saved? Will we, while we are waiting for his return, then proclaim his message of hope even to those who oppose him? Because the truth has been made clear. There is no living water apart from the one who dies on the cross and spills his blood to give us life. Let's close this time by praying to the Lord. Now, I'll be leading us in a prayer from the Puritan days. It's called Heaven Desired. It's a prayer that was written with a longing for heaven. So 
Let's pray, and I'll lead us in this Puritan prayer. Oh, our Lord, may we arrive where the means of grace ceases, and we need no more to fast and pray and weep and watch and be tempted, or to attend preaching and sacraments, where nothing will defile, where there is no grief or sorrow or sin, or death or separation or tears, or pale faces, or aching joints, or feeble infancy. On that day, Father, we will have personal completeness. Where the more perfect our eyesight, the more beautiful the objects we see. The more perfect our appetite, the sweeter the food will be. The more musical our ears, the more pleasant the melody. The more complete our soul, the more happy is joy to overwhelm us, where there is full knowledge of you. But here we are like ants, and we view a nest of ants. So you view us and our fellow creatures. But as the ant knows not about me or my nature or my thoughts, so here I cannot know you as clearly as our light. But there, there we shall be near you, dwelling with our family, standing in your presence, chamber, being heirs of your kingdom, being spouse of Christ, being member of his body, to be one with him who is with you, and exercise all the powers of the body and soul in the enjoyment of you. As praise in the mouth of your saints are rightly so, so teach us to exercise this same divine gift to praise you when we read when we hear your word when we see when we do in the presence of people and even the presence of our enemies as we hope to praise you eternally thereafter amen thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by bethany trinity presbyterian church for more information Visit us online at busypc.sg